Good morning. Everyone ready for the morning? Okay, that was not enthusiastic. Let's try this again. I think I heard like three voices that time. Oh, well, now I'm louder. Okay, is everyone ready for the morning? Okay, that sounded a little bit more like my kids waking me up this morning. Because when, when my kids wake me up in the morning, it's not, there's no like soft whispered tones. You can't snooze it. You can't do anything. They just pop up in your face. And so this week one time, my three-year-old son decided to walk up and stand right in my face. And I'm laying sideways and just say, hey, dad, you know how scary that is? I almost punched him in the face. It was scary. So don't ever do that. Okay. Well, I'd like to welcome you to our Sunday morning service this morning. We're going to be continuing a series called Ministry Partners. Um, this is the, the second to last week. So next week is the last week. And then we're going to start a series for a couple weeks called Jesus is King. And we're going to talk a little bit about the, uh, the things that led up to Palm Sunday. And then on Easter, we're going to answer a question that I'm going to share with you at the end of service We're going to have something that we're going to ask you to do. So this is an active thing that we're going to ask you to do. And so at the end of service, wait for that. But I'm going to share with you what we're going to be talking about on Easter. And so if you want to follow along with this series, Ministry Partners, you can go to YouVersion. It's it's the Bible app on your phone or your tablet if if you want to use that. In the bottom right corner where it says More, click that and then click Events. And you can follow along from there. Today, we will be in the book of 1st and 2nd Timothy. And so we're going to be jumping around just a little bit, not too much, but one of the things I want to share with you from First and Second Timothy is that these books were written to an individual just like you. So don't forget that as we talk about it today. It's really easy to sometimes forget that, that the Bible is, is specifically for you. It's for everyone. And so as, as Paul wrote these, He was actually there when Timothy was converted in Acts chapter 16. And Timothy was converted and he had this heritage of faith. So we're going to see a lot of that play out today in 1 and 2 Timothy. But before we get started, I want to to pray. I want to ask God to to bless this time we have together um, in his word. Heavenly Father, we just ask that you would be the central focus of what we do this morning. And because you're the central focus, that your Holy Spirit would transform our hearts and our minds. Because when we look at 1 and 2 Timothy, we're going to see that what we've been given outweighs what we have to give up. And sometimes we forget that and we run back to things that are less than what you have given us, Lord. We ask this morning that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes to what you are guiding us to do. We're going to talk about guarding the deposit you've given us. And Lord, we just ask that you'd help us to understand what that deposit is and why it's so important that we guard it. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have a question When you were a kid, did your parents ever give you instructions about your friends? Did they ever say, don't go around kids that do blank, whatever it is? Well, my parents, 
when I was really young, they came up to me one day, and I remember, because they got on their knee, they got down on their knee, and they said, if someone is cussing or swearing, you can just walk away. Oh, man. I learned that at like, I don't know, I, I think it was probably five or six. And I, I should just leave, that I should just leave. And I'm like, okay, that's fair. All right. Five or six, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be around that. I don't even know what that is yet, but yeah, that's great. Okay, I'll stay away from that. But I found out really quickly in my teenage years, that means my circle of friends would be incredibly small. Okay? <laughs> you, you transition to this other time of life and people are just like, oh, I, I'm finding out what these words are and I'm just going to say whatever I want. Um, I worked in social work for a while and the six-year-olds there were teenagers. Let's just put it that way. They're just, you know, they, had, they were free with language. But walking away from the situation didn't deal with the core problem. You cannot be transformational in circles unless we are in circles of people that are not like us. And that's really hard because we want to we be godly people, but unless, unless we cannot be who God calls us to be unless we're fighting the good faith, fight of faith wherever we are. It's not just when we feel like it because God is using us, using believers to redeem situations and circumstances that are without hope. Does that give you a lot of faith? If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, listen to that for a second. He's using you to redeem situations and circumstances that are without hope because as ministry partners, we have hope in Jesus and we have this great gift of the Holy Spirit. And so I realized in my teenage years, I needed to be a change agent rather than isolating myself. And when I went to college, I remember walking in a room in someone's house because I just came to hang out. It wasn't really a party or anything. Next thing I know, there's like illegal things happening in the room. Let's just put it that way. And I realized that I was the only person in that room that had faith in Jesus. I was also the only person in that room that could say, we shouldn't be doing this, which I got my way. I'll just put it that way. And, 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 and I, I, I thought about it to myself, and I think sometimes what we see as, as, as negative, bad things, we actually have an opportunity to be a catalyst for change. We have an opportunity to change the situation. And so I realized in my teenage years, I needed to be a change agent that was bold enough to say, what was right and what was true, no matter who the audience was. No matter the fact is, you know, the difference in audience, this is an easy audience. I just throw that out there. The church is actually pretty easy. It's not, it's not horrible. But if I were to go to an atheist convention and present to you what I am today, I don't know if people would be glaring at me or spitting at me or throwing things at me. So, so sometimes we, we get in this audience and we think, oh, okay. That's the easy way to do this, but we need to be bold with the opportunities God gives us as God moves. So turn with me to 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12. And I think it's important here that the conduct described here is the conduct of a believer. It doesn't matter who you're around. So it's not only when I'm at church I act like this. It's every day of the rest of my life. Because once you have the Holy Spirit, you are a believer. You're in full-time ministry. You guys want me to have you all come up here and I can ordain you? Okay, no one, no one came up. That, uh, but the reality is, everyone's in full-time ministry. 
Once, you, once you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit, you are in full-time ministry. You may think of that as only people that are pastors, but you are in full-time ministry. You have every moment of every day for the rest of your life to serve Jesus. There's something big about that. And also, what Paul says here, I want you to know, there's this, there's this guy, Timothy Keller. He's really smart. And he makes a point about the gospel, the good news. The good news is something that is already accomplished. This is not just good advice. It's something that God's already accomplished on your behalf. So you have the ability to do this because of what God's already done. So this is not something you can do on your own. So starting in verse 11, it says, But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life which you were called and about which you made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I'm going to stop there for a second. Paul was partnering with Timmy, Timothy. Timmy. Oh, that was weird. Timmy. My brother's middle name was Timothy, and sometimes I said Timmy, so. <laughs> Timothy is a fellow brother in Christ. So what are some other biblical partnerships? You have Moses and Joshua. Moses mentored Joshua for years, but yet Joshua was the one that was able to go into the promised land, the God, that God had promised the people of Israel the end result, Moses never got to see the result of what, who he mentored in this life. The partner that he had, he never got to see what truly happened. How many of us love to see what we do? You know, when you invest in someone, don't you love to see what happens as a result? The reality is God doesn't actually promise that. He says, be faithful and obedient. So here's another example, Elijah and Elisha. Elijah mentored Elisha. And Elisha asked for a double portion of what was Elijah's spirit. So essentially, he was like, give me double what he has in his passion for the Lord. And God granted that. And so why is this so important? Why am I talking about these guys? And you guys are like, this is about Paul and Timothy. Because when John the Baptist comes in the New Testament, right before Jesus comes, Moses and Elijah are the two people that everyone thought he was. Why was that so important? Both Moses and Elijah had people that followed them that were actually bigger in ministry, were more faithful in ministry, you might say, or got to see the fruits of their labor, so they didn't actually see it. And yet they're the ones that are looked to as the foundation of those time periods. So Paul, Paul's call here to the man of God applies to all believers. So if you want to read that, just say, oh, believer." because it applies to all of us. He asks us to flee what's mentioned prior to this passage, which you can read that if you would like, but I think the point here is, that we're gonna talk about today, is that he never asks you to take something out of your life without replacing it. And some of us think that God takes stuff from us and he doesn't replace it. And so the, the issue is that what sin has corrupted, he redeems. So what are we to pursue? There's a list there. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. All of those things require something. And this is, the, this is why they're so hard. They require humility. So let me explain. Let me explain what I, I'm getting at. Who decides what is right or wrong? God does. The Judeo-Christian ethic is actually the foundation of the Western world. Well, why is it the foundation of the Western world? Because God decides what is right or wrong. 
Who are we imitating if we're godly? God. God is God. Enough said? Is that enough for you? Okay. What, what do we have faith in? Where's our faith founded? We have faith in God because, one, he's greater than us. Two, he did something that many of us wouldn't take the steps to do. He sacrificed his son for us. And we, we have faith because we're not God, because there's only one God. I know this is overly simplistic, but the reality is all of these things require humility. Who shows us how to love? God does. He sent his son to sacrifice his life so that we can enter into the presence of God. He loves us so much, he sacrificed what he loved most for us. So how, how can we be steadfast? Or who shows us to be steadfast? Do you know the greatest compliment you can receive as a parent or a spouse is that you're steadfast, that you, that you, that you follow through? Your kids notice it. You know when your kids are having trouble? It's because, usually because you haven't been consistent. And when you're consistent, they respond well. God is the most steadfast, I don't know, I don't know what you would call it, entity being, God is God, and he has entirely been steadfast through all of eternity. Jonah chapter four, Jonah gets mad at God because, because he's actually being gracious to the Ninevites that are evil. He's actually mad because he's like, you are steadfast. And Jonah gets angry because the people were repenting and God said, if you repent, look what's gonna happen. I'm gonna receive you. Who is gentle with his people? And some of you may go, well, we've been through the Old Testament a lot. It's not very gentle. God is actually very gentle. Don't forget that Jesus came to save us, not to condemn us. The very next verse after the most common verse quoted is John 3.17. And John 3.17 tells us that he came to the world to save us, not to condemn us. If that's not gentle, I don't know what is. So this pursuit, there's a pivot. You go from fleeing something to pursuing something. You know, I pursued my wife. I pursued my wife through four-hour phone calls at three in the morning and all these different things, things you do when you love something. Let me ask you this. Where is your pursuit of God right now? So I look at it in terms of my wife actually and I, we only lived in the same location, same like area community for about Two months, and yet we were long distance for most of the rest of our relationship, and then we got married. So we had two months before we got married that we lived in the same area. Otherwise, it was long distance. So I would work five 16-hour shifts. I would get off on that last 16-hour shift. I worked social work, so that's, everyone's like, how do you work 16 hours? It was social work. I got off. I would drive to Chicago, three, about three and a half hours. I would see my wife for a couple days, and I would come back. Well, she wasn't my wife. She's my girlfriend, but fiance at that time, I think. That's what pursuit looks like. When we're so willing to sacrifice sleep sometimes, you do that for your kids, you do that for your spouse. Are we willing to set aside time, like fasting is setting aside time to spend with the Lord? Are we, are we doing things like that? And so he's asking you to pursue some very specific things here. And I don't want to get to the heart of this. The heart of the flea pursuit dilemma there's a few things that is, is really core to this that I think I, I've identified in myself and I, I've had many conversations about this. 
Sometimes we're more afraid of fleeing to the unknown. We want to know what's coming next. We want to know what, what's next in life. And most of us don't know what's next when we're in God's kingdom. God answers this two ways, by telling us what to pursue, so at least we have an idea of what to pursue, and he gives us the Holy Spirit. So if followers of Jesus have the Holy Spirit, that is actually an answer in and of itself, and then also telling us what to pursue here. And to the person following Jesus, there's kind of a roadmap here. But don't we all want more details? Because we're afraid of failing, we're afraid of what might happen. And so God gave us all we need for life. It's in his word. It's as simple as that. And sometimes there's another thing, another reason we don't flee is sometimes we treasure sin more than we treasure the things of God. We balance those two things and we struggle with them. So we say, I really like the fact that I've got lots of money, but I know I'm lying to get that money. Wait a second here. Or we treasure something like, we know it's wrong to tell an exaggeration or a white lie, but we do it anyways because it makes us look good. And I really like that sin when my life is really boring. Not everyone can have a reality show for a life, right? <laughs> Which is not reality, by the way. We like our sin. It's like, a, it's like a pet sitting in the corner of our room. We feed it, we pet it, we call it to us, we, we go run with it, and then we go ha- play fetch with it but it's the pet that's killing us inside and out. And God wants to redeem us and free us from feeding that sin in our life to pursuing things. I know you probably cut me out because I just talked about pets, okay? So some of you are not pet owners, but you'll get the analogy in a second. So we're going from fleeing that to pursuing things that give us life. So it's a life or death situation. Every of you walked in today and you are in a life or death situation, and you may have already made a decision if you want life or you want death. And we're afraid to partner in ministry because we might be hurt. We might be vulnerable. But ministry partners, and if you hear anything today, this is so important, pursue the things of God. They don't pursue anything else. They pursue the things of God. You can spend your whole week pursuing everything else and come in Sunday morning, you hear uh, the worship, you hear the sermon, And you pursue the things of God for two hours. But what you have not realized is that the things of God are there when you're washing dishes. The things of God are there wherever you go if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And so it's hard to set aside time every day to spend praying and reading the word. But we need to fight. It literally says fight here. Fight the good fight of faith. Some Christians use this as like we're fighting against other, it's not against other peoples. We have a spiritual battle here. It's easy to go along with whatever's around you, but it's hard to stand up for the right things. I attribute it to something I I learned really quickly in high school. When I felt insecure in a situation or I felt like I wasn't comfortable with it, I would just go along with whatever was going on in that room. Not that I would participate in something I felt was immoral, or anything like that, or, or start, you know, cursing, or it's just, I would just be in the room and try to, you know, chill, and just be like, okay, how secure are we in Jesus that we can fight this fight of faith? That's the question. So, if part of the fight is fleeing sin, death, and destruction, and pursuing life-giving, redemptive, 
character. And then it describes something. Taking hold. You know, the idea of taking hold is, I, I almost think of it as like grasping something. What are we grasping at? We're taking hold of eternal life because that's what you have when you confess that Jesus Christ is Lord before many witnesses. Why does it say that? Why do you think it says many witnesses? Because it's not just about hiding it. You have to confess publicly. That's part of, part of this confession when you get baptized. And you confess that you've sinned and you're not God. But Paul doesn't stop there. He doesn't stop with making a confession. He actually uses stronger words now. We're getting to a point where Paul is not just saying these, these, these commands, but he says, I charge. And I, I don't know if anyone uses that language that much anymore. Anyone say, I charge you, right? I charge you. That sounds like almost like a medieval type thing. I charge you in the name of... And so this is what they're doing here. They use it in the courtroom still. He's charging us. This is what he's telling us to do. Starting in verse 13, you can follow along with me in 1 Timothy chapter 6. It says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things. He just told you how to have life. Pursue these things, you're going to have life. And so it says, who gives life to all things and of Jesus, of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time, he who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. That's a great prayer. Let's just end it right there. Amen. Anyone read that with a sense of awe? I just go, what? The God of the universe has charged you before God the Father, before Jesus Christ, to make a good confession that Jesus Christ is the Savior and Lord of the whole world. It's as simple as that. Ministry partners confess the good news of Jesus Christ. This charge is what Paul gives is definitely a partnership. And he says, stay faithful until Jesus comes back. And so there's a, there's a couple things. This idea that, that the charges will still stay faithful until Jesus comes back, it says protect the good news. Protect the good news that Jesus gave. And I, and I wonder, as James says, that he kind of talks about this being tossed to and fro by the culture. And so really, we're supposed to protect the good news. It's like a marriage. This charge is like a marriage. And so, when you get through all that, that part about the charge at the beginning, and you start reading about this Jesus guy, anyone go, wow. Can you do that in their head a little bit? Just go, wow. He loves me. And this is all the things he's done for me. And, and if I'm partnered with him, that's what he brings to the table. And what do I bring? Unless you have a complete, overly inflated sense of ego, you don't bring much compared to that. He's the God of the universe. He's the one that created us, that gives us life. And so ministry partners are profiting off of God's grace. I know it sounds weird to make a profit. I know, I'm not talking about business, but we, we literally, the partnership is completely uneven. It requires all that we have 
But God gives us so much more. It's, it's something that you can't, you can't not get excited about. Now, let me give you an example. My three-year-old son wants to do whatever I want to do. I love it. It's great. He comes home. He wants to go to the bathroom with me. That's horrible. That's one of the negative ones. He wants to go and do everything. He finds me everywhere. No matter what I'm doing, he finds me. I caught him like opening the freezer once, and I thought he was going to get stuck in there. I mean, he just, he just wants to follow me everywhere. And even if he doesn't have the ability to, he wants to help. And so we were recently, we were tearing some carpet off our steps, and he was trying to pull out these staples, and he really couldn't do it. It's really hard to pull out carpet staples as a three-year-old. But he wants to help. And so I would just kind of like help him do it. You know, I had his hand, or like if we're building Legos, I kind of press it down for him because he can't even press it down right, you know? And I'm trying to help him. And I'm trying to do it. But I've caught myself saying to him when he comes and tries to help me with a hammer that's not the right size or whatever, aren't you a good little helper? You know, don't we want to encourage our kids to help? So I'm like, oh, you're such a good little helper. The reality is anything he's helping me with, I can do without him. I'm not that arrogant. I'm just saying, I don't need three-year-old help. I might need some older people that happen to help me with a lot of things, but I don't need three-year-old help. I don't really need that. Let me flip the coin here for a second, guys. God's up there, and he's the God of the universe that you've just read about what Jesus is. And he's like, good job, big little helper. Think about that. God encourages us to work in the kingdom, but the kingdom work begins and ends with Jesus Christ. It begins and ends with God. God doesn't need our help, but guess what? He delights in the help of his children. He delights in that. He's excited. When you go do something for his kingdom, he's like, I'm all about that. That's the whole point. The vision of our church is to see God move through you because guess what? Without God, you can't move anything. He's a well that never runs dry. And as a ministry partner, God's the one carrying the load while you are going forward because you're his ambassador, his messenger on this planet. He's sovereign king. It talks about Jesus is sovereign king. He's Lord. He's blessed. He's the ruler above all rulers. He's immortal. He dwells in unapproachable light. Didn't we just see that in Acts chapter 9? Recently, we were talking about Saul and, and, and on the Damascus Road. And he, Jesus appears, and he's in this light that Paul falls on the ground because he can't look at it because it's unapproachable light. Jesus is so pure, and his light is so strong that we can't even look at it. And it says at the end, we're to honor him, and he's been given eternal dominion. There's kingdoms that are going to pass away. There will be some point on this planet that there won't be a United States. Has anyone ever thought of that? I'm not like apocalyptic, I'm just saying. Because, because the reality is every single ruler, every single empire in the entire world has passed away. Everyone thought the Greeks would be here forever. Well, they're not. The Romans, you go down the list. He's been given eternal dominion. Do you, you see how we are on the profitable end of this partnership? This business partnership, let's just say it's business. Jesus brings this to the table, and we bring this. And we're on the profitable end. Are we profiting from God's grace? Are we actually profiting? I mean, I mean this wholeheartedly. 
Are we pursuing, this is how we profit, are we pursuing what God is calling us to pursue, knowing that the Holy Spirit is a part of that, but that we have to take a step in faith? Are we pursuing what God is calling us to pursue? And are we realizing that we have the means to flee from sin because of Jesus Christ? And this is the question I had to ask myself as I was preparing. Are we truly in awe of God? Are we truly, do we wake up in the morning and go, I've got another day of breath because God created me. The creator of the universe loves me. And he sent this son that now is in, sitting at the right hand of God. Are we in awe of Jesus and what he's done and what he continues to do? So what we've just talked about is this deposit that Paul mentioned a few verses earlier. Continue with me to verse 20. I'm going to skip around. So uh, 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. When I get there, it's got kind of an interesting thing that he leaves Timothy with. If you're a parent, this is what you should leave your kids with. Essentially, Timothy was Paul's kid. When... when, uh, Paul talks about leading someone to faith. He's like, I was the father in faith. He said that about Onesimus. And, and so, so he says this here and understand what he's, what he's saying. Oh, Timothy, how about you insert your name in there? These words are for you today. Oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, Some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. That's what he leaves with. Is that that what we're telling people? Understand that, that this deposit is so important. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. And what did I say earlier? It's not good advice. It's good news. It's happened. It's been accomplished on your behalf. If you hear anything today, I take these verses here more seriously a lot of things. Ministry partners must guard the deposit of the gospel. You must guard it. You must guard the deposit of the gospel. If you don't guard it, someone's going to take it. Let me, th- let me think about this. A deposit has great value. If you own a business, some of you own a business. How many of you own a, a business or something where you handle money? Does anyone handle money? Okay. You don't leave your money outside your business. You don't leave your money on the street outside the bank. You take it to the bank and deposit it. You put it in a safe place. Why are safes called safes, right? This deposit, why don't we guard the deposit of the Holy Spirit, the thing that God has given us through Jesus Christ, but instead, he's saying there's people that have swerved from the faith because they've left their deposit out and someone just took part of it and they twisted it and they changed it. Keep a close watch on it until Jesus comes back. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, your, your responsibility is to guard the deposit of the gospel against false teachers. There's people that twist things. You know, if I ever say something and you go, I don't know about that, come up to me. Bring your Bible and show me where it is. I'm not, I'm not over the fact of making, saying something wrong. I'm not, I'm not infallible. The word of God is infallible. It is without error. 
Don't forget that. But Paul keeps coming back to Jesus. The gospel should not have anything added to it. No twists, no special interpretation, just the word of God. And let me tell you, context is key. Even in preparing for this, I read all of First and Second Timothy, and I really came down to this is what Paul was partnering with Timothy about, is these sections here. And, and you have to take everything in context. Last week, when I shared from Philippians 4, Philippians 4.13, I said it was often misquoted and used in a certain way. Well, why is it? Because it's not taken in context. It's not understood in context. So remember to keep things in context. And so turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. So I don't think it's ironic that he starts 1 Timothy chapter 6 and and he begins 2 Timothy with a very similar call, a very similar charge. So verses 13 and 14 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. It says, follow the pattern of sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul sets the pattern in life of what to follow. He says, this is what you need to follow. These sound words that I have said. I know some of us have made mistakes. We've said things that we shouldn't have said. But God is calling us to something greater than that. He's calling us to to completely tell people, listen to the things that I say. Because God's changed my life. God's done something so dramatic. Listen to those sound words that are set in my life. This pattern that has come. Ministry partners are examples for others. You know the scariest thing? The the time I matured the most quickly was when I was 17. I went on this ministry trip that we've talked about here in church called Operation Barnabas. And I came back. And about six months later, my former youth pastor was planning a church. And he said, hey, I want you to be the youth pastor. And I said, I'm 18. Do you understand some of the students are my age? He said, just don't tell them your age. <laughs> you don't have to tell them. You can tell them if they ask, but just don't tell them. It's fine. I started realizing it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter who you are. You are setting an example for others. There's no stress and pressure with that because honestly, that's why we profit off of God's grace because God's gracious with us and we can be gracious with others. But the reality is we're setting an example for anybody we're around. When you think no one's watching, someone's still watching. Leaders in the church are to set the tone. They're to practice sound words. They're to have faith and love like Jesus. But more importantly, if you're thinking that you can never measure up to that standard, God gives us what? He gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the Holy Spirit that dwells in us to guard this good deposit of the good news, of of faith in Jesus Christ. And any of us can do this with the Holy Spirit. If you ever feel like you can't do it, realize that God has given you all the tools that you can. He wants life for you instead of death. He wants you to pursue things that, you know, you know there's so many factors in our life. Stress, mental health, all these things that affect us. And God in his word has given us keys to a majority of that. 
when you look at, when you look at in fact, all of it, <laughs> when you look at anxiety or depression, there's always something that God has a response to because God came to earth through Jesus Christ that had emotions. And he knows. He's the only God that can empathize with us and understand us because he was one of us for a while. So I want, I want to close by asking you some questions. What are we going to pursue as a church? What are you going to pursue? Where are we running? What direction are we headed? And if, if you're saying right now it's not a good one, there's someone sitting near you that is willing to talk to you about that. I just say pick someone older because they're always there's more wisdom, okay? What are we going to pursue? Who are we going to seek help from? God's told us we have help from the Holy Spirit. Who are we going to seek help from? And consider this source. Consider the source of what I've said today as, as the Word of God. Do you have the deposit? Maybe you're trying to run uphill and you're not running uphill with the Holy Spirit. Do you have the deposit? And this is the question that I think is most interesting. The last thing that he mentions pursuing is gentleness. And yet when we guard the deposit, there's too many Christians that are not gentle about it. And we get in arguments about things that really don't matter as much as the fact that when we're across from someone that has differing views than us, they need to be saved just as much as we did. So how is Jesus going to respond to them? You know what Jesus did many times? He asked questions back. He just said, who do you think I am? Or, you know, like he asked these questions. When people, he knew what they thought he was. They, he knew what they were going to say. So I may ask you this. Are you guarding the deposit with gentleness? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we know that if we partner together in ministry, that you are central to everything that we do. You've given us gifts through the Holy Spirit. You've guided us each and every day. Lord, we ask, we ask that you would give us wisdom to pursue the things of God rather than the, the things that, that cause us to have death and destruction. God, we ask that you mend relationships. When we want to be angry and frustrated, make us gentle. When we don't want to love and care for others, make us love as you loved us. Make us a church that people are astounded by how we treat each other and by how we treat those outside the church that aren't here this morning. Change our hearts from the inside so that our outward actions are a reflection of who you are. The God that dwells in unapproachable light that is immortal is blessed that has dominion forever that is the ruler of all time the king of kings the lord of lords and that we get to be a part of that story because it's your story 
It's not ours. Lord, help us to see, see you move through us this week, this month, in the coming years, because it's by your grace that we are so rich. In Jesus' name, amen.